Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. As the recent dust storms in New South Wales has shown, have shown, the soil upon which almost all terrestrial life depends is fragile. It's a fleeting resource, isn't it? There's a link between the health of our soils and human health. And hotter soils caused by global warming contain less carbon. They release it into the atmosphere. They further warm the planet, but not just that, the amount of rainfall. It's a complex mixture that makes these soils that are productive to sustain human life. Uh, Just this past week in Sydney, about 120 of the world's best soil, health and agricultural scientists met to discuss the future of global soil security and planetary health. Time to coincide with UN World Soil Day. The conference also had a discussion about how we can ensure that our soils provide food, biodiversity and healthy ecosystems well into the future. But it's about even more than that. It's about the security of our cities as well. One of the speakers was Professor Christine Morgan, a specialist in soil and crop sciences from Texas A&M University. Welcome to Open House. Thank you. Glad to be here. If you looked globally, what are the big impacts that you could say are shifting the patterns of soil productivity around the world? Well, the first one is urbanization, and it's sealing off the surface of the soil. A lot of our larger cities are associated with uh, very productive agricultural regions. And so you have this agricultural region that was founded because the soils were productive, and, um, and so civilizations have developed, and now, you know, we're paving. We're paving over some of our most productive agricultural soils uh, daily. I can't remember the rate of it, it's, but it's quite astounding. We're paving over, we're putting concrete on our most productive agricultural soils. And so, yes, ultimately, you, you have to move on to other places. But, you know, theoretically, once these soils have concrete over them, they, they won't produce food anymore. So urbanization is a big impact. What else would you point to? Well, I would just say probably the next is this degradation of our soils. We we use them and sometimes abuse them. We mine them more than we treat them as a, a non-renewable resource. And and I think that's one of the things that our soil security is trying to address and looking at um, understanding the true economic benefit of soils. It's not just for biomass production, but it's also for ecosystem services, uh, things like um, you know biomass production. I should probably say more generally, is, is production for food and yeah. fiber. Yeah. And then um, ecosystem services, what I'm talking about, is the regulation of the water cycle. Like, you know, when it rains, it either the water goes into the soil or it runs off. And if it runs off, it could take some soil and nutrients with it. And so these are all the different components of um, soil and how soil interacts with um, the environment. We We certainly need to be thinking about not only food production, but also what kind of water regulation or nutrient regulation the soil is providing us as well. And it keeps our waters clean. It keeps the flows of waters through streams, um, you know, good, clean baselines. Mm. And, of course, of course, water, you know, surface water, groundwater, all contribute to healthy ecosystems as well. And soil is one of the major regulating uh, components of the water cycle. 
Uh, I don't know whether you have any particular religious convictions, but for but this is a program that looks at life through the lens of faith and and endeavours to point to hope. And f- for me, as a Christian who understands a little of the science involved, I just think it's fantastic that we're trying to repair something which, in the past, we probably haven't looked at looked after, uh, you know, as the Maker intended. And this this idea of restoration ecology has really taken hold. Yes, uh, restoration agriculture, or restorative agriculture is what they call it in the United States. But it's the concept that, you know, we've been uh, farming soils, and and generally, you know, the modern farming techniques use either one crop or a rotation of two crops. And the regenerative ag concept is that, you know, you need multiple species on the soil over the years to help build biodiversity of microbes and just you know, just change things up a little bit to add some resilience to the system. If you, when you do the same thing all the time, it's it's easy to increase your risk of something going wrong. Whereas if you have a lot of different options and more biodiversity and mm-hmm. even more uh, plant diversity, then you know you minimize your risk. If there's a drought, something else um, can help you compensate, or especially help the farmer compensate for um, the effects of that drought. Yes, I can see that very clearly. Professor Christine Morgan is our guest here on Open House. She's a professor from the Texas A&M University in Australia for an important soil conference to celebrate World Soil Day. What are the soils like in Texas, your part of the world, compared to here? Because we've got some fantastically productive soil, but it's in very small pockets, and the vast majority of our country, I would think, was a fair bit like Texas, isn't it? It is, actually. You're very productive, high-clay soils, um, around nearby are very similar to a lot of the soils that we have in Texas, and that's something that we've had in common. In fact, soil science at Texas A&M University has always been, uh, as far as I know, linked very closely with work done at the University of Sydney because we both we share similar soils and similar crops and similar climate. Hmm. Well, are we treating our clay soils well? Because clay soil by itself, I mean, to, a, to a gardener, a clay, clay soil yeah. is something that needs to be broken down so that it doesn't just become, you know, water-clogged and, and, and rot the roots of things. Well, you know, our clay soils are actually quite resilient. Um, are we treating them well? I think we could treat them better. <laughs> yeah. uh, just like you talk about, you know, we need to break them down. That's t- traditionally how we've dealt with them, is you know, pulverize them with machinery. But re- in reality, what we have found is if you if you don't cultivate them and you do um, some regenerative ag or you know some multiple species of cover crops and things like that, that they're they're actually work even better. That they build structure and water moves through them and they cycle nutrients and um, you can actually have more productivity on them. However, it, it, it's a balance because anyone that has farmed or had a garden in clay soils, you know, there's these times when you just can't dig because it's too wet hmm. and then times you can't dig because it's too dry. So it's all about timing and uh, it's a bit of an art. You know, one of the great things about our country is we have such open access to things. And you, a lot of Australians love going driving and people will be driving around the holiday period that's coming up, our long Christmas break. And they'll be driving through uh, rural and regional areas and they'll notice, of course, that it's extremely dry uh, at the moment. We know that we're in a in a long, prolonged, quite record-breaking drought in many regions. But even amongst that, what, what should we be looking out for if we want to look for a farmer that's doing something that's in this restorative agriculture space? You've talked about cover crops, for instance. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. 
Well, you know, when you drive by and you see this clean field with nice furrows and it looks just beautifully uniform and it's freshly tilled or, you know, it has rows, that actually is what you don't want to see. Mm. <laughs> In fact, one of the biggest problems associated with um, adoption of some of these soil health promoting practices is they're not specifically attractive, um, at least attractive to the, to what we think. Um, it should look like. So it could look a bit weedy. It could look like a little patchy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it could, you know, of course, to a soil scientist, that's beautiful to me. And I think of biodiversity of the weeds and the butterflies and on the weeds and things like that. But um, certainly it, it might not look so attractive, unfortunately. <laughs> so we're changing our technology over the time. You've talked about cover crops and other things like that. But now I, I gather there's a there's even a different way for growing cotton, a very intense water um, water sucking crop, which in fact a lot of people say we shouldn't really be growing cotton in parts of Australia. It's so intense on our water resources. But how is technology changing that? Well, we have a new way of picking the cotton. Um, in the old days, there is a technology that was actually invented in Texas where you uh, pick the cotton and blow it into a buggy and then the buggy drives to the edge of the field, and it's put into this big uh, rectangular container called a module builder. And it and it compacts the cotton into this giant bale that looks like it goes on the back of a, a large, in, in Texas we'd call it, in the back of an 18-wheeler. And uh, But now there's new technology where the cotton is getting baled uh, on the back of the picker. And so if you can imagine, uh, these large round bales are being made, and it's incredibly, uh, it's a huge improvement for the farmer because now instead of three people to harvest a field, it only takes one person. But the problem with that is is um, because the bales are hauled on the back of the tractor, um, of course, it's very heavy. Mm. And so it's starting com- to compact our soils and especially our, our clay soils. You know, compaction was a big problem. You know, 50 years ago, we solved the problem, and now technology has the problem reemerging. And the problem with compacting our soils, as you can imagine, you know, um, some soft, filthy soil, and then you just mush it down really hard while it's wet, and mm. then when it dries out, it's like a brick. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so the, so the roots have a hard time penetrating and, and things like that. But we're working on those issues. Something I hadn't realised is the impact of uh, the history of agriculture on the politics of the United States and this this phenomenon of the Dust Bowl caused oh, by yeah. economic and agricultural factors, land uh, policies and the Civil War and all those kinds of things. But the, the Dust Bowl has entered art, culture and politics in the US and helped shape your country in a way. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Well, in the 1930s, there was a big drought. And uh, all th- and we had plowed up our uh, central prairies, and uh, because of the drought, there weren't crops established, and the winds blew, and they blew the dust. And the interesting thing is, they blew them. It blew it into Washington D.C. while Congress was in session, and um, you know we have great quotes from Roosevelt saying, "A nation that destroys its soil destroys itself," and it all comes from you know this time when. It was really, really obvious to our lawmakers there was a problem. Um, and so, you know, the farm bill and the legislation was passed, and we created the Soil Conservation Service, which is now the national uh, NRCS, the National Resource Conservation Service. And um, 
I think the United States has come a long way and uh, invested a lot of money and infrastructure in soil conservation. Um, you know, we probably are slowly moving away from that. I think that's just the way these things work, right? We get a disaster and our eyes are opened and then we mitigate it and we forget. <laughs> We've had dust storms, of course, in um, some parts of Australia, in particular the eastern states uh, in recent times. And we've got a prolonged drought and also floods in other parts and record bushfires as you've had in California and so it goes on these dramatic climate events are absolutely escalating our country you'd have to say if that's not a canary in the cage for policy then a canary in the mine for policy I don't know what is I think that uh, humans always struggle with this right we use our natural resources and sometimes not prudently Hmm. and you know the question is you know what's what's the uh, threshold for us to try to do something about it you know, when when does the political will become strong enough? Yeah. And, you know, that gets away from the science and really to the policy. But yeah. when the politicians are ready, I think the scientists are ready to help. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I thank you for the science you're doing and for collaborating with your colleagues here in Australia that I know you, you do on a regular basis. We do actually have some pretty fine soil science here, don't we? Oh, yes, yeah, some of the best in the world. That's good to know, and I love, I love that we can share it. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Open House. Absolutely. Thank you very much for inviting me. Christine Morgan, Professor Christine Morgan of Texas A&M University's Soil and Crop Sciences. Yes, it is good. I think scientists are getting better at, as she said, synthesising the importance of soil science research to society, economics, and policy. And... When you think about the impacts that can come if our world doesn't grab hold of the need to be productive and adapt to what's happening in changes and variability in climate, uh, then we are going to see greater instability. I don't know whether it gets to the level that David Attenborough said during the week. You heard what he said. I was just mentioned that to Christine, but here's part of what he said to the big UN uh, conference on climate just in the last couple of days. Right now... We're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. Our greatest threat in thousands of years, climate change. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. The United Nations provides a unique platform that can unite the whole world. And as the Paris Agreement proved, together we can make real change happen. Making real change happen. If you had a view of the world that there was no God and that there wasn't a plan, an ultimate plan for our planet and for us as a people, I think it would be easier for you to accept the full implications of what David Attenborough is saying. And I know, because we've discussed it on this program during the year, that for some Christians, the whole idea about climate change and the need to respond is mitigated by the fact that God promised there wouldn't be another flood, another catastrophe, and that Jesus will return and everything will be made new. And believe me, I am fully invested in that hope. But I think there's a middle ground that we need to court here between the view on one side that says it's all nihilistic, we're all heading for nothing, that we'll do nothing, our civilizations will collapse and there is no way out. That's the David Attenborough 
view, and on the other hand, the view that we we do nothing and it's okay because God will come and rescue us again. The middle ground is to say that God gave us the plan, and the plan involved us. The plan involved us being good stewards over his creation. And yes, if we've done things that have um, taken away from the way that it was meant to work, then God's given us the opportunity to fix that. It's called great science and it's called great agriculture and it's called responsible stewardship and it might be called solar power on your roof or it might be called renewable energy for a country like Australia or it might be called people getting together in Paris and coming up with a way that all planets can work together. Do you think God would be pleased if all planet if all planets do you think God would be pleased if all countries, nations worked together, if all continents saw that they were part of a bigger whole that he had made to be united? I think he would. So when David Attenborough says the future is in the hands of the UN, I don't see that. I, I see that the UN could be an instrument used by people who love God to see that the future is in the hands of us as stewards for what God has made. Because he's brought us here to be part of the solution. That's what I reckon anyway. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.